I guess that's a good point to start on, actually, that Animation UK stuff. What, what exactly is that? What was, I think the difference is what was it and what is it? So it, it was a bid to um, get tax credits like the film industry had for uh, animated properties to try and maintain more of the work and more of the IP in this country. Um, so really it was, at the time, it was quite dull. It was going for all like the tax laws and trying to work out where we fitted, trying to work out how much the industry was worth. Um, well, it, it came about because we'd lost a pitch for a big TV series. And we, I think you asked why, and it turned out that because someone in a foreign country had managed to do it for 20 or 30 percent cheaper or something it was ireland <laughs> that foreign country. yeah and it happened to us twice so was we it a like, series that you developed no it wasn't but it was one that was with a company that was just up the road and they said that creatively ours was the best pitch and um our budget was cheaper but by the time you knocked off the irish tax credit oh, they right. had no choice but to go there which you can't argue with but then it made us think after the second time that happened we were like well how are we going to get any work we looked around to see who else was getting work. And uh, back then, which was around 2007, when we first started thinking about it, it, there was a year whereby if we hadn't produced a show and Aardman hadn't produced, it was either Shaun the Sheep or Timmy Time, there wouldn't have been any series work in the UK at all, which would be like the first, would have been the first time in years and years and years. And you, so. you drew a plot of a graph of the amount of TV kind of children's tv animated shows made over the last like 10 years and it was literally a plummeting yeah. kind of ski slope downhill kind of graph and so we had to decide did we want to work in this country you know there's, there's two two things you could do you either stop making kids tv and you just do more advertising and try and get into films and all the other genres or you try and do something about it so we decided to try and do something about it and it was a really it was a really slow build so at the time obviously because there was no work there wasn't many people who were willing to fund something that would would help. So we managed to convince probably probably about ten big bigger of the bigger companies that weren't completely defunct to put some money in to get a report, and that report led to uh, led to the tax break. So it was worth it. And now now for the future, we're trying to make it into a more formalised organisation. So I'm stepping back from it. So I'm not going to be chair anymore. And I'm going to step completely back. So someone independent is going to run it. Um, and being independent, it means it's much easier to ask for people's accounts. And because when, when I ask our rivals, like, can you send me all your accounts, please? They quite rightly go, uh, no, you're our rival. Whereas actually with someone that's completely independent there, no one will have sighting of anything. Somebody that's not uh, got day jobs as well, because essentially I've been running it for free. So I'd never take a penny uh, to run it because it was like a, a passion thing for the industry. So whoever comes in next... Uh, is obviously going to charge. They're going to be a professional person and be working on it all the time. They'll be able to, you know, go into government every day if they wanted to. They'll be able to uh, answer people's queries and questions. You know, at the moment, I'm doing a, a half-assed job of it, which isn't helping anyone. So when we've probably got about 50 people signed up to be members, we've, you know, paying c- proper cash, and it's a range of people from film to advertising to kids, and so hopefully it'll be a, it'll become a proper thing soon. And is is the the membership thing a new initiative? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. It, it it's because I've got so frustrated. So I mean, I don't, it, and it is boring. Um, the the government obviously knows we exist, but because we're sort of a, a quite a new industry and we've always been tiny, we've never we've never really been able to have a voice within government. 
And that's partly down to the fact that we haven't got, I don't know if you ever bought car insurance and tried to find animator as a job title or anything that's relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't exist. And that's because it, that's because it genuinely doesn't exist. If you, if you uh, recording all the government record data on every job, well, animator doesn't exist. And lots of jobs within our industry don't exist. Games have a similar problem. Um, and it's very hard to change those codes. They're called sick and sock codes. So one's about what business you're in and one's about what individual thing you do in that business. So we don't really exist. So our value doesn't get collected anywhere. So when the government look at what's a valuable industry to have in this country, they, they can't even look at it. It falls down the gap, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we don't exist. So most of our value gets plugged into sort of film, which is perceived as sort of the live action side of stuff. Mm. If not that, then, I mean, I, I always tick the graphic design box because I feel that's kind of, almost closer to where to where i am but you know people get people get pushed into all sorts of things but our value isn't carrying anyone it's so important if we're going to fight for more support or more money as an industry then we need to know what our value is and at the moment it it, it is nothing so it's difficult so how did you like was this something you were always interested in or was this just kind of like you've well it started off as just protectionism of like our business you know to say you know do you want to do you do we want to carry on working in this country should we go to at the time germany had some regional stuff so we were kind of like well christ do we have to think about moving overseas or um and lots of companies there weren't new companies starting up so there weren't the jobs in that side of animation and in fact at the time it was quite close to the recession as well so advertising was down so there were lots of i used to say there were herds of animators wandering around soho looking for jobs so it was difficult times for everyone and it was just a question of whether we wanted to be here uh, or not. And I, I actually went in to see, and this is, again, someone that probably everyone, everyone hates, but he, he sparked the idea. I went in to see uh, Jeremy Hunt when he was uh, actually shadow culture secretary at the time. And I'd gone in, I'd done, I'd bought a book on economics and a book on tax, read them on holiday, and done this like really badly binded report where I'd done the, the economics and I passed it to him and I was telling him about it. I saw him flicking through it. And he was like, yeah, this is all, this is all well and good, but come back to me uh, when you haven't got answers on the back of a fag packet and threw my report back across the table. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is but, that what he actually said? Yeah, yeah. But, I, but genuinely, like, he was like, you, you know, come back, it, come back in if you can do this properly. And I, I genuinely think, you know, I went in there in my shorts and my hat and I think he just thought, you know, that's got rid of him. But sadly for him, he'd given me the opportunity to, he'd actually said, come back in. And it was all noted down. And we'd got our local MP with us, um, Mark Field. So, so he, he was with us. So he heard it. So we could get back in. So then I got to go and tell everyone in the industry, well, he says, he, if we do a proper report, we can go back in and he'll consider it. And that's actually how it started. So while you can say, you know, what, what, what a Muppet, actually, he just ins- he, I just thought, right, do you know what? I'm going to go and get this now and do how, it. How did you get a meeting with Jeremy Hunt in the first place? Um, that, uh, I went to see a lot of MPs locally. So I don't know if you know, like every, your MP, most MPs every Friday or every second Friday, even if they're really high up, has a local constituency thing. And the lucky thing for us is at the time, especially, but even now, animation spread all over the com- country. There's people in back bedrooms all around the place. So I just phone up anyone in the constituency of someone decent who could have an effect. So um, you can get to see real powerful people in the Treasury and everywhere if, if for these meetings. Most of, the time, most of the time I think they I thought I was their cleaner when I turned up dressed in my hat and shorts. But Did you ever think about wearing a suit? No. No, not really, because actually I, I didn't want to like 
portray a message of like we were a lobby group because essentially we weren't we're a group of people we never went in demanding stuff we just went in and said this is this is what the industry is this is the talent you've got here but essentially you are a lobby group right yeah, I mean, we were a one policy thing, but we, if a normal lobby group would go in, and I think, you know, you see them on the news all the time go, isn't it disgusting how the government, we're the steel industry, we're going to die, blah, 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 we need this much support, they need to do this, 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 we need energy bill. We didn't go in demanding stuff um, really ever. We went in and said, this is the industry we've got, this is the talent base we've got. If you do nothing, it's going and it will be gone. And you, you tell us what you can do. And I think actually they're quite warm to that approach rather than people going in and, you know, and protesting or, I don't know, it just seemed like a nicer way of doing it. And actually, and people, they can be, people can be as rude as they want about MPs and they can pick a side, um, you know, you can be Tory or you can be whatever. But there are good politicians on both sides and there are terrible lazy ones and there are people who mean well and for whatever reason don't succeed in what they're doing and there are people who mean terribly and get quite high up in these pies. And I think, you know, one thing I have learned is when people are sort of on social media or, or you know, you're, you're just kind of talking very personally about politicians, nearly everyone I've m- met being a politician, I might not, I might not like them, or they, might not be, they might not be my cup of tea, their politics, not what I'm thinking, but most of them, you know, they're ju- at the end of the day, they're just human beings. They're trying to do a job. They've got pressures from each side. People, the higher up you go, the less they can say to you because they think you'll go away and tell the press. And so they're under pressure as well. And one thing I learned is not to kind of just judge people on what you see on the news. There are really good ones and they're really terrible ones on all parties. Maybe they should, all the good ones should kind of get together and form their own thing. But they are, you know, most of the time they're just working within the system. And I feel actually you'll have more success outside the system. I think people make change better outside than within. Uh, you know so but the upshot of all of this was you you guys were able to get tax breaks for, yeah uh, so was that suggested by an mp that i look i think we could because you said you didn't go in there asking for anything specific we, it so was, we, we point, sort of seeded it didn't we really yeah but it was it, i think it was wasn't it vince cable who said we you, what you need to do you need to go to a professional accounting firm and give them a lump of money to kind of demonstrate how this will not cost the taxpayer any money and how you can keep your industry while being of net gain to the UK economy. So it kind of went away and Ollie raised a load of money to fund that report. So then they could give that treasury and say, look, if we do this, you'll save an industry and we'll actually be generating more cash for the economy. And it's quite a lot of kind of complicated numbers, but it kind of got there. And yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a slow burner really because, you know, we don't we don't have we don't have and we didn't have the lobbying power but what we did have is people that really cared so like i said you could get into local mps and we've got everyone's going to their local mp they all took them so if if the collective noise around what you're trying to do is good um and lots of mps within your party and then people begin to believe in it and eventually you know the escalation of things is you 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 get to see uh ed vasey uh he kind of goes this is great but really it's the treasury that's handing out the money i'll come with you and support it and then he tries to arrange a meeting with you for George Osborne and you go and do the Osborne one. And that's the one where we had, you know, that's the one where he was like, I'll really consider this. And from that meeting, that's, you know, after that and the meetings consequently he'd have had internally, that's where he will have decided to do it. And, you know, he was, he was really, I think one of the things, I think the passion came across. And I think that's something that we've got. If you're lobbying for yourselves, 
essentially you're going to be passionate about it and and yet we had this document that articulated really accurately what the impact could be um for the economy what it could be culturally and the little added bonus for us is animation in terms of what we're talking about is children's so he could have this good line on you know and we're trying to help children get more content from the uk which is a good line to have because i think we still believe that to this day you know we, children shouldn't just watch american stuff children should have a, a good range of things and and, and at the time it, all animation was going to start coming from overseas so it, it and if you i think on the, the day after he announced it in the budget he got ripped apart but on the front page of the sun there was a picture of george osborne in uh wallace and gromit the wrong trousers yeah. And in, and so there was a, you know, that was like... So he, sorry, you said he got ripped apart for... Well, not for that, for the other bits of his budget, but right. because he'd got this kind of good news story, it was like, but at least he saved Wallace and Gromit or something like that. So it was tongue in cheek, but it was quite nice to, you know, it's quite nice to, for him to have a few positive things in there. At a time, if you think back to, back to that time, it was, it was when they'd kind of got in and they'd been left a note that there's no money. So it's not like they could give out many goodies, but one of the goodies they gave out was the animation one and actually since then the very next year you know he said he said thanks to the animation one which is working we want to do more for the creative industries it's an area of success so if anyone's got any more ideas so it paved way you know you saw then the next year the games tax credit came in uh, and then you've got the orchestra one and the kids tv one and they've sort of followed through and, and when he announces them now he still does mention you know he, you know the, the the years he launched those he, he said you know thanks to the animation one, which has been a great success. And so, yeah, I mean, it's good. It's good. It's sort of good for everyone. And the creative industry are a big success. Yeah. I mean, it's for us, it's been a bit of a double-edged sword because now there's so many, uh, animation TV series happening in the UK. There's almost a shortfall of talent. So it's, really? it's kind of been a, which oh, is, yeah. which is fantastic for the industry. But then when we're recruiting it, it's a bit tricky. <laughs> I forgot we'd shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. It's a terrible thing. Cause we had work and we were one of the few people that did have work. So we had work anyway, and now we still have work, but everyone's more expensive to hire and there's less people about. So yeah, we've, we've ruined our own business. That's what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but in terms of um, like productions and success, like, have you started to see that you're getting more and more work? Off oh, the massively. That? Yeah, overseas as well. I mean, that's, that's the key thing. Like, people will come to us now rather than go to other places. Not because we're the cheapest. We, we have never been and we will never be the cheapest not just our company i'm talking about this country um but what they get is a certain guarantee of sort of quality where i think they feel if they go to some of the other countries um even from some quite established ones like canada but uh, i'm probably more talking about the emerging uh, emerging markets if they go there they feel like they're taking a risk on um talent and viability and you often hear of companies going pop overseas and stuff halfway through a project so they feel comfortable in the uk they feel they'll get the right quality we are we are world renowned still both in terms of animation for advertising and for children's and you know pepper pig's done us no harm that's making millions and millions of pounds so people uh link the whole uk industry to that and before that uh wallace and gromit and so bob the bill you know there's been loads of success out this country which has massively helped us but yeah we're getting loads of overseas work which would never happen before do you know the stats for the increase or is that out of date yes now? i'm gonna make some up now no um <laughs> the the hearsay i mean this is another thing because there's no proper data i can ask everyone what the impact is but there's no recorded data because they don't ours isn't an official job so it's so hard to say what the impact is but film london um anecdotally say that uh animation 
series animation or animation for screen. So I'm not talking about advertising here. I'm talking about shows or films. Um, he reckons there's 600% more in London going on. Because obviously film London, so they're not concerned with everyone else. Uh, again, anecdotally, Animation UK sent an email out to everyone asking them for their turnover for five years and projected into two years. And I think over five years, the amount of uh, work going through the what I'd call TV production animation studios that had, that had doubled. So, it, it, yeah, it that's massively positive but the the real thing the real value hasn't come out of it yet if you think about it because the real value in kids tvs is the ip and the toys so the tax credit's been in four years spend a year getting your show funded two years making it you don't start selling your toys for another year so it's only next year where you're going to truly know that if these shows that were funded because of the tax credit are really bringing loads of money into the uk and that's when the government will sit back and we've got our first shows going through now that have benefited from the tax credit and again we won't know for another year and, and if the sort of toys are selling and really doing what we said it would do uh, i was just going to ask how long is the tax credit sort of valid for does it is it go up for review or yeah it does go up for review um it has to you because it's state aid and again well it's a big eu debate so if we're in the if we if we stay in um, it will get reviewed along with all... Um, Is that states. you mean the EU? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. We, it will get reviewed along with all the other state aid. So there's question marks at the moment about what counts as state aid um, for cultural in, cultural industries. And you know you have to fill in the cultural test. So there was a question actually in the European Parliament where someone stood up and went, can somebody please tell me why you're claiming state aid on Star Wars and can they tell me how Star Wars is culturally... UK or British, which is a you know a tough question. Apart from Darth Vader, is British. So, uh, <laughs> but it, you know they're, they're a rule, and it's about all the countries fighting for business, and they don't want people to get unfair advantages and stuff. But it, yeah, eventually it will come up for review. The film tax credit got reviewed two years ago and got passed through. Occasionally they tweak the rules and tweak the wording, but nearly every country's got some sort of incentive, so it tends to tends to work out. Um, they, there could be an investigation later this year into state aid by the EU. But, you know, I try and avoid that sort of thing because it, nothing, there's nothing really we can do about it until it turns up and then you just... So is it, I'm not, I don't quite understand, is it more beneficial to stay in the EU for the tax credit or for without it if we leave? What, what did you vote for? What's, what will I vote for? Well, <laughs> yeah. I'll vote... Uh, God, you may say something. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll, I'll vote to stay in and that's simply because in terms of who we do business with and I know people say oh we better do business with them afterwards but in terms of the people we sell our shows to and in terms of uh, the ease of me getting to the south of France to get a suntan uh, I'll probably stay in but you know the the, adv- the advantages coming out could be that we don't have to abide by all these state aid rules and we could tweak our system to be perfect for us um, but but in reality, I, I, I just kind of think that people we do in terms of cartoons, our big markets are like France and Germany to pick up pre-sales and stuff. So if we want to risk that further, then that's fine. I'm just being risk averse, really, I think. Right, right, right. Other views are available. <laughs> so what exactly are the tax breaks then? Do, tax do you want to credits? have a go at answering? I do. I give it my, my best shot. Well, then I'll just um, correct you when you go wrong. Uh, well, the tax breaks are a way of 
trying to compete on an international scale when so many other countries have them. And it essentially means that if you create a, want to get a show funded that passes certain criteria, um, you will essentially get, is it 20%? I don't know yeah. that figure. 20% knocked off your tax bill. Is essentially what it means. They, they, they call it um, 25% of core spend, which can be a maximum of 80%. It's the most nonsense jargon ever because essentially, really, it means to a layman, it's 20, 20%, really. That's what we tell everyone. Um, there's a bit of accounting to, to get it to that, and there's a, a process. So you, I'd say by the time you've done the accounting, and also there's a thing called a, there's a levy, which people pay into for training. By the time you've knocked all that off, we say like the net value is somewhere between sort of 18 and 19%. Um, is that for the whole... Is that just for the production, or is that for the company? No, no it's, it's the production, but because it's a tax credit, it either gets... Uh, if you make a loss it gets rebated to you or if you make a profit it gets knocked off your tax bill right. so it comes at the end and one of the difficulties with our system is that it comes at the end so you have to self-fund it yourself up front or you have to get gap finance and that's where places like uh, ingenious come in um, it's notoriously hard to do with banks because they don't really understand our industry but you have to sorry what's ingenious Ingenious is, um, they're a big funding organisation. So they fund, uh, what's their biggest one? They did Avatar. They help fund that um, or gap fund it at least. So all the all the tax, say, say you're making a, uh, say just for the sake of argument, a uh, hundred million pound film, then they could, the, the tax credit on that would probably be worth 20 million. So they would say, we will cash flow your 20 million. We'll lend you the money for that 20 million because it's guaranteed back and we'll charge you a low interest rate on it. So they do that repeatedly with lots and lots of, of different shows and it can be quite a nice business. But uh, there have been some difficulties. As soon as you offer something like this, then people, try, people invariably will try and abuse it. So there's been examples of people setting up, oh, sorry, not the mic, people setting up false companies making really bad films or not even making films charging huge fees out for stuff that you can't quite explain and then trying to claim the tax credit and there's been examples where people when the revenue have gone to them and said show us the film they couldn't even they couldn't show them anything finished and yet they've claimed that people have gone to prison for it claim millions of pounds and so and there's so there's everything from that where films don't exist to uh people who are just fiddling it in the margins um, to people who are using it properly like us. And it's so important that people don't abuse it. Um, and, you, you know, occasionally I get called in as someone that helps set it up to say there are people beginning to use it. Well, you know, the, the advice is if we, mis- if we misuse it, which is what they did with the old system, they'll take it away and then we won't have a system to abuse in any way or use. So, yeah. But they're on, they're on top of it. And, I, you know, fingers crossed it lasts for a long time to come. And is it is it just specifically for children's uh, series, or is it just any, any animation series? Any animation that's not uh, that's not a commercial, not I a think. commercial, not pornography, and not gambling, but passes a cultural test. Yeah, passes a cultural test. You can't even have culturally relevant porn, you know, <laughs> animated porn. What do you mean cultural test? Uh, it's basically he's got to tick a certain amount of boxes in terms of being british or feature made in britain so right. it's got to be relevant to the uk essentially okay, right, right, right. It's, a, it's a hangover from the film industry so for example you couldn't in the film industry uh, if you wanted to make something about the revolution in france it's not a culturally 
British film. But if you wanted to make it all at Elstree or somewhere like that, and you built the Eiffel Tower there, then you'd be you would be scoring what they call cultural points for production. So you'd be producing it in the UK. You'd have a UK director, etc. So you get points for English language. But what you couldn't do is go over and film at the Eiffel Tower and try and claim it there. So it's meant to, it's meant to promote culture, your own culture, which is how you get it through the EU. And then the government see it as promoting bit of business. So you're you're selling your services uh, as well. So it a lot of it's jumping through hoops for Europe, but a lot of it. I mean, it's quite sensible, really. Um, but the animation one's a joy because we, we managed to convince the government, well, it's quite obvious, really, isn't it? If I'm making a show about little plinky-plonky aliens that live on the, a nonsense-made-up planet, and they go, oh, is that, uh, is that British? Well, of course it's not British, but it's also not anything else. So the animation tax credit says it can be, has to be the UK or, I can't remember the other word, but it's basically or a completely made-up place ambiguous location or something. yeah <laughs> ambiguous yeah ambiguous location so so long as you don't like put like your location as seattle or something like that you'd be stupid to but you can pretty much yeah you I think people have made that mistake but you, you can pretty much you can pretty much get most things through i think so does that affect your uh, your creative decisions of what kind of shows to develop then um no it's never affected that because mainly for animation it's about where it's made and obviously, we're make, if we were right, right. shipping stuff out to the Far East or something, then yeah, we wouldn't. It wouldn't pass. But yeah. because it's all being made in the UK, it passes oh, okay. that test. So, um, but yeah, yeah. If you make it all here, you can get enough points to pass the cultural test simply just by making it in this country. Right. It's if you're shipping bits out, then you have to start scoring bonus right. points essentially. Right, 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 right. But I think. For um, for us, it's I think it's an example. So I think in our studio, we've got about hundred. 30, 140 people at the moment. I think if it wasn't for the the tax credit, I think we probably have about 40. So oh, it shows really? you the amount of uh, jobs it's created just in our company alone. So yeah. if you multiply that across the UK, you can kind of see what it's done to the industry. Yeah. It's a joyous, it's a really joyous thing. It's, a, it's actually a sign of the government recognising something and supporting it. And if you look at, um, I'm trying to work, I can't remember, I'm meant to have this line down because I'm, I'm part of the like cult, uh, the creative SAG sector advisory group. So I'm meant to be able to like spout these figures at you. But it's something like for every pound they put in via tax credits to these industries, or it might no via every pound they put in, I think they get 14 pounds back, which is an amazing sort of return on investment mm. for the government. So I think that's why they're keen. And creative industries at the moment is growing faster than any other area. Uh, in the British economy so you know why not support it and they as well as the money there's soft power as well you know yeah people coming over here to see things they see in films yeah but there was also like wasn't there I remember hearing a lot about cuts to film council and arts council and stuff around the same time that you guys managed to get tax breaks yeah we stole that money no uh, (laughs) What, no. what, what was going on there so Obviously, government has shrunk, and you know this. Obviously, that might be. God, I'm talking about politics. It might be like a Tory agenda. They, you know, they like small, small government. So within the DCMS, their team. So they used to have a, a big team that represented film and animation. So they've shrunk What's down. DCMS, Department for Media, Culture, and Sport. So they're basically the people that sort, sort all our stuff out. So they shrunk down, and then during all the cuts, it was like, where can we save money? There was. 
there are so many things that represent film. And I think they just took the decision of like, well, it's too, it's too much. If we've got to start reducing everything. And I, w- I would say, has there been a huge negative impact from trying to combine... They haven't combined the BFI and BFC, but they've shrunk them down. So I would say there hasn't really been a negative impact. And one of, the, one of, the, one of my big things for animation is how, how do we get more people that understand our industry into those organisations? Because at the moment, um, they're great and they're trying to do more. But the people sort of at the top or have been at these places the longest don't, genuinely don't understand, I'd say, the production side. They understand the selling of animation. They understand the value it can bring because they always put their reports out of like Shaun the Sheep, top of the box office. And uh, when a films come out from America, that's always top of the box office animation. So they understand the value of it, but it's the expertise. And try, I think they're trying to do something about it. But as, I, as, as you pointed out, their teams have shrunk down um, and they've had budgets taken away from them. So, yeah, it's difficult. They've given with one hand, they've taken away with another. Wasn't the uh, Film Council's funding kind of like just kind of given to the BFI to look after instead? It wasn't... Yeah, it was, it was reduced. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was shuffled over. It was, it was a, a rearrangement. Um, and, there, you know, it's, it's one of those things that there are so many. So there's BFI, BFC, there's PAX, there's Animation UK, there's the... Uh, APA. So there's all these organisations who technically look after different little bits and bobs. But what Animation UK is going to try and become, it's going to be anim- animation is a little part of all those organisations. And being the tiny, tiny part that no one really understands, I, I, we all feel like it gets overlooked. So Animation UK is going to be the organisation, a paid organisation that basically goes to those other organisations and says, this is what you should be doing about animation. Will you do it? Will you help us? If you won't do it, we'll go to the government and try and get some money to do it. Um, you know, who's making, who really, and, and I'm preaching to converted because I know that you guys have made very good animated shorts, but who's out there with any support really to make animated shorts? And the people at the top of our industry... So the, the tax uh, incentives apply to shorts as well? Only if they're going to be broadcast. But the if you think about... I, I'm sort of talking more about the BFI and what they support. So they do support short film and they've given money to the Vision uh, a Vision Award to help people to try and make films and we've been lucky enough to receive that. But I'd say one step back. So you get so when you when you're judging on any of the short film things now, you get lots and lots and lots and lots of people's final project from uni. And very rarely do you get anything anything else because there's no support from it. Whereas actually if you go if you go to Poland I went and did a, a talk in Poland and they got me over there as the animation ex- expert, and I should have looked into it. But they don't have like a kids or programming animation industry. Their whole industry, all the funding they get is for shorts. So they kept coming up to me and saying, "How do I get funding for shorts from the UK?" And I was like, "I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know." And so I, I had to say that about forty times in a day. And I think they were really thinking, "You've got a really rubbish expert over." But but genuinely, other countries do, and you know, France. They, they, there's funding mm. available there. So yeah. I would call it cultural funding. So I see the tax credit as business funding. And I think what we need now is cultural funding so that the next generation of filmmakers, you know, think of Ardman, think of the people that made great shorts and then went on to direct great films. I just, I wonder where they're coming from if, if, you, if you don't support them at all. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess it's tricky, isn't it? Because like, essentially, if you're trying to save an industry... If you don't save the industry, there'll be no shorts at all because there'll be no one doing that work anymore. So I guess it's it's a tricky one to to balance. So is that the ambition of Animation UK going forward? 
to sort of integrate films and short films into it. Yeah, I think it's to be seen. So at the moment, we're definitely seen as a not a genre. We're seen as a we're seen as a technique that can help the other genres. So that's the reason we haven't really been valued or we haven't been considered. But when if you're in a, if you're in one of these silly meetings where everyone's shouting out what value they are to try and get support, um, you can look at the figures that the BFI and Pack put out, which is you know high end TV, X billion amount of pounds, and they're taking into account tourism and all sorts of things. Uh, BFI will say film worth X billions of pounds, and then they'll say animation. The only figures they've got for animation are the ones that go through the tax credit for children's TV, and so they'll just you know you've got these billions and billions and billions animation worth forty five million or something, and it makes us look tiny, really tiny and insignificant. But you'll know as well as me that the skill set between what we do at Blue Zoo, which is, um, you know, children's animation. It's still like encomping all those jobs that are down at the VFX studios, all the jobs that... So I could move to a VFX studio and get a job. I could go and work in commercials and get a job. What I couldn't do is do a live-action film. But what they don't recognise anywhere is the value of the production. So I I feel most sorry for the VFX people because the value of their work is only ever really seen through the eyes of live action. It's so true. It's like I went and saw Jungle Book the other day and it was it's an animated film. As far as yeah. I'm concerned, it's an animated film, really. Um, and it, it seems, after what you said, it seems frustrating to see that that would get equated into like the billions of pounds that come into the UK as, as a film. Or like, or film, yeah, which makes it hard to quite a corner, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but which is ridiculous because it's actually animation and you know Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. A huge percentage of those films is technically animation, right? And, and one of the great things, so there's a, there's a dual edged sword to it. So um, if you think of the film industry as as it stands at the moment, it's really apart from the small cultural successes we have, it's really American dominated. So. They come in, they spend a lot of money here producing stuff and it makes a lot of money and they take that money away. So we're, I guess, you know, servants servants to that model. The good thing about animation is, as well as having this VFX industry, which is a service to that model, you've also got the other side, which is animation and IP, which, you know, Blue Zoo is owning and making its own IP, which has a value. So when you value our industry, this is what, this is what really disappoints. When you value our industry, you... You look at something like Peppa Pig, a, a UK thing, a British thing, very, very successful. So when we're told our value is fifty-two million pounds or something, I can't remember what they said last time. Somewhere between forty-five and fifty-two. When we're told that's our value, and then in the paper you see that Peppa Pig sold a billion dollars worth of toys last year, you're like, how can we be worth fifty-two million when Peppa Pig alone? is taking a billion and that's more than there's no film over here that's done a billion and and this is the great this is a great thing about having strong a stronger voice and because that because they sold pepper is that because what's his face sold pepper pig they, they um they've sold an they sold a stake in it so they still own some of it but they stole sold for hundreds of yeah 100 million but that would be merchandise Oh, the, the merchandise, yeah, a billion, a billion pounds of merchandise they do. So by the time it gets right. back to them, it'll be less. But it's still an extraordinary number. But that scene is that that money generated from the merchandise is seen as foreign money. Yeah, it because would... it's owned by, uh, you know, I assume like an American company or something. It's gradually getting bought out. No, I mean, even as much as last year, it was majority owned out of the UK. So okay. not all the profits from that will come back to the UK. I, you know, I'll, I'll hold my hand up, but... It, 
if you, there's a big game that goes on. So um, every industry starts to value itself. It's very well known that if you're worth more, you'll get more support from the government. So in this sector advisory group, um, everyone sits around and declares their value. Sort of every week, it's a different person. If you added up all the values um, of all the creative industries as what they self-declare it as, you've nearly got the whole value of the UK economy. So somewhere along the line, there's double counting, and and it's because people want to, you know, push everything into theirs. I don't want to do that. So the Really, the first thing, when Animation UK gets set up properly and we've got these paid members, which probably will be this summer, I want to get a sensible figure for actually what is the production going through the UK. And I've got a rough idea anyway because I think um, Screen UK, who mostly represent the VFX houses, I think they a few years ago they were predicting that there'd be about £600 million worth of visual effects and animation work done on films. Um, so that's 600 million straight away. And then there's our side of it, which is TV production, which I think there's about uh, 100 million. And then advertising, I struggle more with because it's quite, it's a little bit more split up. So it's harder to value, but I'm sure the APA uh, can help us with that. Um, then there's corporate work and there's other things as well, and bits of film work. So, and that will give us a very sensible figure on what production is going through the UK. I imagine it to be about sort of 800 and uh, what am I trying to say I, I think it'll be about 850 million mm-hmm. um, which is a lot more than the 35 or whatever they say we're doing and then on top of that then there's the right stuff the right stuff is going to be so hard because what the government count as export um, is really tricky and it's changing all the time but I don't think we'll be allowed to say a toy is a creative industry's export so it will be hard to value but if we're a proper organisation then it's almost like if you declare your own value and you're a proper organisation, they will take that on board and they will say that is the valuation of your industry, as long as it's not pie in the sky. So I reckon, I reckon, we're, a, I reckon we're a billion pound industry uh, when we take all our skills into account. If it's a skills-based industry, and, and that's how they should judge it. At the moment, they value it on like what size screen you're showing on. So it's like you're either TV, film, or whether you press a button, games, because that's how the tax credits have ended up. Right. But in reality... To any of us now, it doesn't, you know, content is content, screen is a screen, kids watch things on anything, we watch things on anything, and mm. it should be, you know, it, we just need to sort of prove our, our value. What, um, how much is the membership? Like, you've sold, like, I think I'm, oh, I feel wow. like you've sold me in already, but like, it'd be interesting <laughs> for people to know, like, realistically it's, it's tiered, what that is. It? It, it is tiered, and at the moment it's in debate because it, it basically, what, at the moment, how it's been over the past, how long has it been, eight years or so, it's been me. And a small group. So me mostly shout my mouth off, which is good in a way because it means that I'm the only one held responsible. And then a group of other people who've had um, some opinions. So when it gets professional, it means I can't say anything. So even on the pricing front, I've had to suggest a structure and then say, I'm now going to back off. If anyone's got comments on it, then... um, But it will start... We think we're going to do a lower one. I'd put a minimum of um, £500 because... Is that a year? Uh, yeah, a year, which would be for people turning over less than, I think, 300 grand. Do you know what? I'll put it on the website. But it, then it, it tears up to uh, a maximum of five grand. Uh, other bodies just keep going and keep going and tearing it up and up and up, uh, which puts camper off some of the sort of bigger players who end up sort of funding everyone below them. And we're not we're not a huge. There's no there's no one out there turning over the sort of money of uh, Endemol or Shine in terms of animation. So we're putting a cap at 
five grand. Uh, there's probably going to be about six companies that hit that. And we'll probably be able to in total raise about 100 grand, which, you know, sounds like a lot. But by the time you've got a full-time person in there who's got experience, you know, there has to be someone experienced in, in both our industry and lobbying. And that's, they're few and far between. But, you know, it can have a massive difference. I would say Joe Twist, who is head of Yuki, uh, the interactive games, she made, she's made such a huge difference to their industry. You know, before she came in, there was no games tax credit. She'd been in and now they seem to get money from everywhere. And that's because she she's a smart girl and she, you know, she says things how they are. I remember we went over to South Korea together on a government thing and she stood up and they'd been talking about the nice films they do out of the UK and they'd been talking, the BBC were talking about their nice wildlife documentaries they do and they'd got to go up first because they're like the the prize the, you know the uk prize pigs the nice little film industry and the nice little drama things we do and then she just stood up and she went there was one film made in scotland uh last year which made more money in five days than both your industries put together in front of all like the delegates <laughs> all the south korean politicians and you know that was that was uh, grand theft auto so, uh, but she was so right, and it, it kind of gives me the confidence to then stand up. Oh, I was, the, the, uh, the game. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, right, yeah. Right. So she just stood up and was like, "One game in five days made more." Which, which actually, you know, it's funny what we perceive as having value. So we always like think of the film industry as the jewel in the crown, you know. But something, something like only six percent of films make money that we make mm. out of this country. Whereas, you know, games and animation is much higher, much higher than that. And her, her being that ballsy and getting up and saying that sort of stuff gives me the confidence to go one animation about a pig yeah. sold more merchandise than your entire and it's true so when we get it right we are massively an industry worth backing it's it's not as glamorous sure and you're not going to meet any cool celebrities but as a sort of financial reward thing games and animation and vfx and stuff, it's, it's a it's a valuable thing and mm. um yeah, we need to. We just need to prove it, and then we'll get more support. Okay, I feel like we should not talk about politics. No, it's, <laughs> do you know what, man? You know this what, is yeah, this is like, like I, I I embarrassingly for someone who works in the animation industry knows so little about what animation in the UK do, and so it's I'm sure you know it's not just me who's going to find this like really informative I think that's, that's part of the reason of wanting to push because at the moment yeah. it's just yeah. been Ollie struggling to find time yeah, yeah, doing yeah. his blue zoo thing at the same time yeah. so I think that's the the general thing of the plan for going forward is mm. is to get it out there so everyone can hear about it yeah, and yeah. really raise wave the animation flag for the UK yeah, yeah. I mean it's true there was a report done I mean it gave me a kick up the arse it was a report done by someone doing um, an MA uh, Lindsay you can, see, you can find it on the Animation UK site and it basically said that no one was representing animation properly and said, you know, Animation UK doesn't represent it properly either, which, which you know, you'd think you'd take offence to, but it, it just actually gave me the kick up the ass to say, yeah, do you know what? I can't do it in my own time and I, I, it, while it's just me doing it and while it's a voluntary organisation, it's not going to happen. So that, it gave me the kick up the ass to kind of to do it. And I think I think the idea will be that it ties everything together. So we're not going to go and start trying to do what PAC do. You know, they negotiate terms of trade with the BBC, and they 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 do all that side of the thing, and they do it really well. So we're not going to tread on their toes and try and do that. And we're not going to go to the BFI and say we don't we want to be in charge of all all animation. Don't do film animation. It, it just wouldn't work. But what we're going to do is make 
make sure there's a voice in all those things mm. and hold people to account that they're doing yeah. enough. And, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it looks massively positive at the moment. So No, wicked. Congratulations with all that success. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so you guys have got 140 people working at your company. That's what you... I think so. It's yeah. tricky to keep oh, it changes every week. <laughs> As you well know, the industry changes every week. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's... But I suppose for maybe people who don't know, we probably we didn't do we a proper intro. That. So you guys <laughs> run a, a studio called Blue Zoo Animation. Yeah. And you've been running it for, is it eight years, ten uh, years? 16. 16. <laughs> right, sorry. See, I've done my research. Uh, yeah, no, we, we started yeah. it uh, back in 2000, straight out of university. That's amazing. With a bunch of classmates. So yeah, fortunately, still going. How many so. were you then? It was, we started as uh, four of us. While we started in our final year at university. You so, started before you graduated? Yeah. Wow. In so, uh, our student bar. <laughs> so it was, it was you, Ollie? Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, Tom, Adam, myself, Ollie, and Nicola, who has since left. So, um, yeah, it was, it was weird back then as well, because we weren't strictly, you know, you'd think of, we know many people who are mates who've set up businesses, but... We weren't actually all, all mates. I, I had the idea to do it, and then we thought we knew someone who might give us the money on a punt. You know, just a, we tried some banks, they laughed at us. And then we started to say, well, who do we need? So um, I myself, uh, Tom would call me something different, but I'm a like, lazy creative, essentially. So I just like to waft in with my ideas and not do much. And so we needed people who were doers and could set things up and, Tom at the time had already set up part of his own business in programming, and he yeah, was, so yeah, I was more of the IT kind of technical person. So, so I guess when you start a company uh, on a shoestring, you need to basically be able to do everything yourselves because you haven't got money to pay anyone else. So, I think <clears throat> Ollie and Nicola at the time thought, what what skills do we need to kind of cover those bases without needing anyone else? So, I was I was the the technical side then adam was more of the kind of like uh kind of uh oh he could just do it he was he was the only person you know how at uni you like you've got your deadline for your final project and you end up working like till midnight every night to do it adam finished his like two weeks early and went and sat on the beach because he's that efficient adam was the annoying one who's good at everything yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) apart from football (laughs) which we've since discovered at the weekend but Um, yeah, but it was a good mix. Like it was a good mix. We weren't we weren't all mates. I knew Adam better than Tom, but it wasn't like we were we were we were best mates. We just literally. Were you on the same course? Yeah, yeah, we all sat next to each other. Kind so of. So what? What if you weren't mates? What kind of like inspired that? Hey, let's get together and do. A I think Ollie thing. sent out an email saying, yeah. "Hey, he wants to start a company." Oh, really? And there was a very harsh interview process <laughs> under some stairs at, at yeah. Bournemouth. Uh, I don't know why we did it under stairs, but I remember it. Why did you? There was like twenty people sat under stairs talking what, about. You actually, did you interview people? Yeah, really badly. Yeah, we should have seen our first business. So there was loads of people Brilliant. who wanted to start, and you were just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and there were some really. I mean, there, we we had a really strong year. And it's easy to say that, but if you look around Soho now at lots of the big effects houses, everyone that was sort of in the mix or interested in talking about it is now really high up at. Uh, all these places, uh, Stuart Lashley, they, you know, they're, they're, they're all doing really well. And we got so many firsts in our year that UCAS investigated the university, but it was found to be 
all right, probably apart from my first, which I've blatantly bribed people for. Um, but yeah, so we had, a, we had a lot of talent, and that's one thing we did know. We were one of the first years to be using industry standard software. It was just when Maya had cut prices and software, software and hardware had come down. So it was a, it was a moment in time, it's, really. Yeah, it's a very fortunate window where the kind of like the cost of... Because two years before we started you'd have to have bought like a silicon graphics workstation for tens of thousands of pounds to do animation on and right. and back in it was just when kind of like max was available for a, uh, what was it at the time windows 2000 and for the first time you can actually do 3d animation on a desktop pc so before that there was never really a kind of like a the bedroom anima- animation kind of scene that there is now yeah um and but as with that, there was also uh, Freeview starting. And so it was a very kind of like, kind of, uh, it was, well, it's just a great window of opportunity where you had those two things kind of crossing over, which meant that there was suddenly hundreds of channels that needed content. So uh, our first uh, commission came from the BBC who said they're starting a new channel and they need some animations made. And we ended up doing... It's about over 200 short four-minute animations for, for the BBC. Was that CBBS? Which was CBBS for their launch, right, right, yeah. Right. So you did four, 400 completely different... Two, 200 four-minute animations. <laughs> yeah. And well, we had to be quite creative, both kind of artistically and technically, because we didn't have a render farm or anything. So we had to, kind of have to, how, we had to work out how we can make hundreds of these animations on five PCs back in... 2000 which is no easy thing to do so we kind of had to we kind of worked out how we could kind of like render it all without a render farm and stuff but we we got there i think we had like five days to make each animation so it was one of those it wasn't easy one of those joyous things where there wasn't time to worry about it too much and there wasn't time to have hundreds of meetings with execs all chipping in it was a case of get it in think of the best ideas you can be as creative people and get it get it done and the joy was in the naivety of it and, and still to this day I can like I can't watch all the stuff we've made because some of it because it is aimed at kids you kind of think oh god it's so so that formulaic blah 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 I'm doing a hand gesture there by the way anyone listening which doesn't make any sense to you but it's so formulaic but we, we, there wasn't even time with Blue Cats before like and sometimes they wrote scripts that were like three pages too long and so this is what you're talking about is Blue it's called Blue Cat yeah, yeah that was our first so very the, first project and that's a that's a series. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was on. It was one of CBB's first uh, shows. It was part of a show on CBB's, but that um, that basically paid for our first two years. When that's the time when most companies kind of fold because you kind of don't you kind of like go out of university with a student showreel and think, yeah, we'll go out and get loads of work, and then you kind of realise that actually our our showreel isn't as good. As what we might imagine it might but, be. But then and we thought it was so easy. Like two years, we were like still working, and then it, that work suddenly stopped, and we were like, oh God, yeah, we need some other work now. Yeah. How and did we, you go we started about with, getting that kind of work. Well, it's that tricky because we, we started with zero, zero contacts. So with most companies, they kind of work in other companies for a few years, build up their network, and then move on, start their own thing, borrow a few clients. <laughs> um, but we had nothing. So it was, it was a lot about kind of making our own luck and just at the time sending out a lot of VHS showreels and <laughs> hoping they'd arrive on someone's desk just when they needed some animation done and a couple of times it did and we got a few more jobs like that and it slowly if you do that enough 
if you if you send enough stuff out and go to enough enough things, you find somebody who who wants what you're doing if you're good. And I mean, when that work dried up from Blue Cow, that that was the most painful year because we all cold, we we had one phone in the office and we all took it in turns to cold call like hundreds and hundreds of people, and it was very difficult. Who were you calling? Just got the yellow pay. A right. <laughs> phone there now we, we tried to do media companies we did we did media departments of stuff so we picked up some work for some banks and and things like that but at that point it was anything we were doing uh websites and animation animated websites um we did we did all sorts at a point to keep it going but yeah i mean just even trying to get you know anyone whose job is permanently cold calling then i'll take my hat off to them because it it's soul destroying but we committed to it and we did it for about a year, like the four of us and we did it in shifts and we had a little chart for who, who'd got through to the right person, who'd got the most success in saying, yeah, we'll see a show reel, you know, who actually phoned back. And we did, we picked up maybe out of every 150 we did, somebody said, oh yeah, we'll do us a test and we'd do it and maybe it wouldn't go anywhere. So yeah, it was just, it was, it was just a slog really that was. Yeah. It makes you appreciate doing animation and not being a cold caller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Which kind of like, comes back to the point of like how much like because i i always imagined you guys were a bunch of artists and then at some point you kind of fell into the business side of things but by the sound of it you you almost like had that in your mind from the beginning it's it's weird because i think we probably all had slightly different things in our mind um but certainly certainly for me i mean the real inspiration we had a group of guys come in the best way, and they probably well, they came in when we're at university. When we're at university, yeah, ex graduates, yeah. ex graduates, and they they're probably still in the industry, so they should be. But they came in and did a presentation to us, and it was pretty uninspiring. So all the way through, I mean, they were giggling. They weren't very personable people. Their work wasn't that good. And then, but one of the key things that stuck in my mind is they were making money out of it, and I was like, whoa, hang on, if these guys can make money out of it and they're not very good. And that's kind of what that's kind of what inspired it for me is kind of like well maybe there is something we could set up here so it was definitely a kind of businessy decision for me and Were I think you always like a business minded person I'd say that I'm just ridiculously risky at everything so I see opportunity <laughs> I see opportunity in everything whether it's like a creative opportunity or like a sporting thing or whatever I always just want to always just want to do and I think you like it, a little flutter. Well, yeah, but also like people see, especially in this country, people often see ambition as like a as a dirty thing, or like you know, just oh, go get on with what you're doing, don't 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 rock the boat, or do your own little thing. And I think we suffer from that. If we're in America, again, it's symptomatic sim- symptomatic of problem in the film industry that we're sort of subservient to America, and we make little cultural films. That's what we do over here. We make little cultural nice things. In America, they go ah, just like stick four hundred X Men versus five million. But it'll be sh- it'll be shit. Yeah, but it'll sell millions. Yeah, and, and so I think I'm a bit more like I see opportunity and stuff, and I'm always t- asking Adam and Tom to spend money on ridiculous things, and they mostly say no, but occasionally they get through. I think that's what's. I mean, it, what works. I think f- uh, as part of Blue Zoo, it's it's a nice balance of kind of like love of animation with that kind of like business side of it. None of us are business people, but we've somehow made it made it work over the last 16 years 
But it's, but it's easy, isn't it? Because our philosophy has been, I don't know, it probably gets more complicated than other businesses. Our philosophy has always been, if the job, if you can afford to do the job and it pays you money and you're not losing money at the end of it, then that's a business success, which I don't know why it should ever be any more complicated. So if the money will pay for what you're doing and you'll end up with like a bit of money at the end, to my mind, that's a success. So when you go on all these other courses, I don't know, I'm sure there's other stuff you can learn, but I don't really understand it. I don't understand business much beyond the fact that if it makes you some money and keeps your company going and you're not doing stuff that breaks your heart because it's so rubbish, then... Yeah, I think that's... I mean, all of us have always been very passionate about doing animation and kind of keeping it made in our studio because there are a lot of animation studios that will just take on the project and then kind of like farm it out overseas to, to squeeze the... The, the budget but I think one thing we've always done is been very kind of protective about doing it in our studio so we can really keep control of that quality and see it all come together because that's one of the nicest things about having everyone in the same room is you can see the animation kind of take shape and go from a few sketches to a, a final thing and seeing everyone kind of be part of that process is one of the most enjoyable things about that but also it does buy so you're right, like, are we creatives? Yes, we are. I mean, I just did art and theatre studies at A-levels, and we all would have done... Tom's from a long line of creatives in his family, of architects and illustrators. and So we all are creative. And what is beginning to happen now, and what we've kind of forced through the company with the uh, animated shorts programme that we run, where our in-house staff get to pitch in their own ideas, is we're beginning to get back to that. But it's only because, you know, we get no support. It's our own money we spend on it. But it's great to see the ideas that come out of other people in the studio. And we're trying to do like quite a, I say a serious short. We're trying to do something that's longer, like a TV half hour short at the moment um, about having sex in car parks. So that's, that's my idea. And then, you know, that's okay. So I've been in this company 16 years and I'm getting to make my own thing now, but it's an ambitious thing and it's got a great cast and we're, you know, we're, we're pushing ahead with that. So in a weird way, we've had to, we've had to maybe suffer on the business side and maybe do, do some things that pay the bills, we call sort of bread and butter jobs, to be able to eventually get to a point where we can do that and hopefully that will lead into film work and not just work for higher film work, but films we feel passionate about and, and, and we can put everything into. So. I love that all that work is just to make a film about dogging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wicked, man. I'm so into that. <laughs> what else would you write a short film? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's no, wicked. No, it's wicked. But it's, um, you know, you guys have been doing kids series for a long time and uh you know like a big issue for me just personally is that a lot of people see animation as a kids medium and so yeah. it must be rewarding now to actually start doing stuff that's a more personal or you know the kind of thing you want to see done yeah but i mean we we have ambition i was ho- i was hoping the tax credit would have a more immediate impact on um adult stuff and I, I was I was hoping like the BBC and BBC Three. I mean, I know you know Family Guy, great, and American Dad, great. But I was hoping as the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, they would start to look more seriously at uh, UK animation. There's no reason we can't make stuff that that's good. Yeah, historically we haven't, and it makes people nervous that we haven't. But there's mm. such a great pool of talent, and I'm I'm still hopeful. You know this. Um, this dogging short is just a short. It's a one-off thing, but it will have it will feature great characters and great things. And I'm yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to be able to use it as a flag to say, look, we can do this stuff. We can write funny stuff, and mm. we can 
and it won't be the same as the American stuff, but nor should it be. It should be refreshing. No. So, so we'll see. Um, but I do, I do hope that that other stuff comes out of it. And if it's 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 not for kind of want of trying, you know. No, we we have. I think we've kind of like a few times over the years we've kind of like tried to get some more uh, non children's animation off the ground, but it's a hundred right. times hard, harder yeah, yeah. to do that than children's stuff. Yeah, because you can't sell toys. So when you're asking someone to invest in it, unless it's unless it's a personal project, it's, it's and you're spending all your money yourself. It's very hard to say wh- why they should, because at the moment, no one in the UK is buying it. Will the will Americans tend to spend more on it? You know, Adult Swim and things like that. They tend to spend more, but are they going to buy a British product that might not work in America? Well, they're, well, they're not going to. So where's your market? It's not there. So I mean, in reality, your, your Channel Four used to do. Um, quite a lot of stuff um, mm. and that sort of ebbed away um, they used to do like a shorts program yeah um, and I, w- I wish they'd do that uh, but if you haven't got anyone to sell it to you can only self-fund it which is what the dogging thing is and actually it's got such a good cast that I think if we did go to BBC3 or Channel 4 they would go okay we will we will support this and I think you, we could get a broadcaster now because of the support uh we've got for it the cast we've got it's written by some great guys so i but then they would want to interfere and because it's such a i mean it's sex in car parks their first thing they probably say is like oh we really shouldn't do a show about sex in car parks but the the joy of it is we've just kind of said no we'll just do it we'll fund it ourselves and we'll make what we want to make and it will live or die on what we think is funny and good and right and then hopefully afterwards when we've done it then they will go actually we believe it's good and right and yeah and then they will buy it and i doubt we'll ever make all our money back from it because we're trying to do it properly but our hope is that we'll pick up a few awards people enjoy it and it will move our company and the belief that the uk can do adult comedy and animation Mm. um forwards how do you sorry do you want to it's not it's not only the fact that it's adult animation that i guess is risky it's also the format of half an hour right yeah we didn't we didn't really put a time scale so the great thing is we got a load of comedians in so you know anybody um you know stephen fry came along and and did it and and so they had their script and then we said afterwards you know in character um is is there stuff you want to add and we did a series of like improvisations and stuff so in reality we've got an hour's worth of stuff and we've never Yes, it would be nice if it was able to be TV half arable, but we might, we might in the first instance just make it to how long it should be, which is a joy really, because you think of how often you have to squeeze something into five minutes or extend mm. something out. So we'll make it to what length it's meant to be, and then if someone wants to buy it, we'll do we'll do an edit and maybe have all the extra stuff. There's a brilliant bit about Stephen Fry talking about how dogging's like Harry Potter, which is uh, uh, interesting. <laughs> so um, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff we might do as extras or whatever, but it's just it's just you know great to be able to work with good people who aren't you know the guys you go uh, who asked to be Brian Blessed who've been doing Peppa Pig for about Stephen Merchant Stephen Merchant yeah oh, okay. people who've been asked to do animation before but just had to do like plinky plonky songs for kids and then you get yeah, them yeah. in to say you know to pretend to have sex for twenty minutes sex noises for twenty minutes is uh, in the sound booth in the sound booth yeah <laughs> well well. Well, yeah, what, what am I doing now? Well, what's happened here is the car handbrake has come off. You're careering down a hill having sex. Well, can you can you do that noise for us? And he's like, <laughs> okay. So, um, have you thought much about the distribution of it? Is it just going to do festival runs? Or you yeah, that's we. I mean, we, 
Ollie wanted to make it, I think, because when you run your own studio, as you guys know, it gives you, that's one of the kind of best things. It gives you the flexibility to, to make what you want to make. So it has, I mean, of course we want to enter it into a few festivals, but more than that, there is no immediate financial plan oh, for no, it. But it's, I mean, even just like, um, you know, is it something that's going to, you're just going to throw up online or will you sell it online? Like, um, you know, there's things like Vimeo on demand and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll try, we will try and monetize it in some way, but that's not the principal thing. Another, you know, we're trying to do films now and as well as um, do children's films. We've got a slate of five or six things as well as trying to do children's things. We've bought some adult books to say, in a way, we've been quite selective of what we've bought, but we're trying to say... When he says adult books, it's not yeah, normal books about dogging. Yeah, it's just <laughs> normal adult stuff. Um, so, for example, we got the rights to uh, Two Caravans, which is an immigration love story. And the only reason I thought it would work as animation is there is a dog and you hear the dog's thoughts. So it makes it notoriously hard to do that as a live action because it would just be weird. But actually, it's a really serious thing. There's murder and... Uh, prostitution and, and all it's very kind things. of culturally relevant yeah massively massive, and it's uh, two Ukrainians that shouldn't fall in love fall in love and it's from the Russian side it got more culturally relevant and we were really excited that we'd got the rights to something that was of this time but because it's an immigration story and at the moment our immigration story looks really rubbish next to the true immigration story which is like hundreds of people dying in the sea so we're in a bit of a quandary at the moment because it it's a strange thing. The real immigration story is obviously the people dying in the sea, and we've just got this nice little sort of love story. That it's a comedy. It's a you know black, a, a really dark comedy. Um, and, but we wanted to do it in sort of the style of gorillas, maybe um, live action, completely everything but the characters. So maybe other human characters actually wandering around, but mm. you could pick out your. And this short, in a way, was a way of saying, "Here's us doing some adult stuff," and in the hope that when we take our adult films that aren't cutesy family films in animation to people, that they don't just dunk them straight in the art house bin, because that's the worry with animated films. They go in the art house bin, then there's a ceiling on what money you can raise for them. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that has to be the case. And, you know, my, dad, he, uh, my dad, as old as he is, has started watching some of those sort of animated films that have come out, and yes, they're low budget, and, um, you know, but... He, what sort of things are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to get it. I'm going to say, oh, we'll say it wrong. The, like the triplets of... Yeah. Uh, that's the one. You could make someone else say it. Yeah. So, so that in terms of, um, you know, that's an animation story, comedy. You know, that's one side of it. And then you've got the slightly more uh, sort of serious ones, uh, Posopolis. And um, it, there, there's more and more examples of people trying to do things a bit differently. And I actually... I see it as a big mark. If you get it right, we've all grown up with animation. We understand it as a medium. We've seen it used in serious contexts in advertising and pop videos and stuff. And, and I think we're the generation now where you could make some really decent films that don't have to be funny and different. You just use the medium to make them, um, you know, to really exploit the virtues of what it is. We've mm. uh, got the rights to a Holocaust story as well, which we're trying to do as an animation the only problem with that is is the Holocaust is a really dark subject and we haven't got we haven't quite got it right. And the one thing you can't do is a bad holocaust you can't make a bad Holocaust so it's so important. I, I think with, with the films more than any other animation medium, getting the screenplay perfected is you, you know, you, you cannot go wrong anywhere else 
but the screenplay so it's kind of the, the foundations for it and so we've spent i think it's the last two years doing screenplay rewrites for those films so it's yeah. it's spending a, a long time making sure that that stage is right rather than just trying to rush into it so there's there's a plan there but it's just doing it properly rather than trying to rush out a quick film because we've been offered a few films but they've been kind of quite low budget and we didn't want our first film just to be a kind of a dvd bin kind of offer how long do you have the rights for these projects for so you can usually um you pick them up on sort of a two-year sort of cycle but you can you kind of get the right to re-option them but what i think we're going to do in future is we tend to pick up unusual stuff that maybe wouldn't get picked up in other things and we're going to try and say look you come in for the ride with us and we'll pay for the first two years but if we need a bit more time we can't just keep buying the rice to you because obviously animation is a much longer process. So even if even if we found the funding for it, it's not like a live action film where we film it in six months and then bang, it's out. Yeah, you'd still be talking like three years down the line. So again, it, there's some. It's trying to change the understanding of people that are selling rights as well. How much you. is it? Oh god, it could be anything. You know, if you're trying to buy the next Harry Potter, it's going to be millions. But for little odd quirky books you can pick up the rights anywhere between sort of two grand and ten grand for a couple of years mm. it sounds like a lot of money but these are these are good books by good people who've sold a lot of books so it's not it's not ridiculous but they kind of they expect you know we've shown we, we're going to talk to them about a, we, we've got their screenplay and we share what we're writing with them and try and get them to give feedback some some authors just want to hand it over and forget about it others well, I'm more interested in seeing what mm. you're doing because usually it's an edit essentially what you're doing is editing their book because yeah. you can never fit it all in which is tricky so are you, so you guys are bringing in writers from outside are you to yeah. work on these or are you writing it all yourself oh no. good, yeah we can't write we were uh, should say thanks to the BFI because they yeah. helped fund this because we got some uh, some grant money from the BFI because they wanted to kind of try and kickstart the, uh, the animated film industry in the UK with their Visions Fund? Yeah, it's called a Vision Awards. So I went to four companies for animation. So um, that's great. You know, that's that's how they're supporting the, industry, the animation industry. That's where they have a value. They're supporting animated films in that way, which is good. And we can spend that money, uh, I say as we see fit, they have to sign it off. So we'll, we spend some money on rights, some money on screenplays, some money on producers, some money on... Um, Kind of art development art development although you know our, our pitch very much as them is if you fund the stuff we can't do so the writing and stuff will will easily spend more than what you give us on the art development because it's what what we do and what we what we're good at but yeah it's it's interesting it's interesting having no one we've got 150 people in the studio and none of us can string five words written words <laughs> together it's uh, it's a curse did did the um the money to acquire the op option rights come from the vision award uh and i think we paid for that ourselves didn't we we did it originally but um it has been included in this oh, year's okay. budget to update a couple of them so yeah they they're very yeah i mean they, they completely understand like the, they do understand the business of film and essentially that options and rights and stuff is all part of that i'm sure if they i'm sure if they said if we said we're spending all of our money on the option rights i'm sure they'd have something to say but fortunately it's it's, it's not been that so do you guys feel like now you're running a company do you feel a lot of pressure to i mean you're obviously employing a lot of people you're running a render farm you're you know dealing with all these ip issues and stuff 
day to day like do you feel like you've got and you both got kids as well right yeah do you feel like you've got the brain space to it, be creative and it never gets any easier <laughs> growing bigger just your problems just get kind of yeah bigger <laughs> it's 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 hard because um, i mean tom and i have got those sort of brains that don't switch off so we were talking actually the other day about you know what what would we do if we weren't doing this or what if we what if we could relax a bit more but the reality of it is even when i'm on holiday i'm doing stuff even if i don't really need to i've got i'm sat doing something even if it's not directly business it's like maybe writing the writing part of the dogging short or or something i'll always be doing something so it's kind of like we don't switch off so it doesn't it almost doesn't matter that things have got harder because it's just new problems our old our old problems were things like how can we afford to live in london you know when we first set up we paid ourselves like minimum wage and we didn't have jobs so those and cold calling that was a problem now the problems are different and they're bigger and they relate to more people so you know 140 people and we do we don't want to lose them and they are you know we've got some really good people and it's how to how to keep the the workflow there so we don't have to lose the you know some fantastic stuff that we've got so it's turns into more of a bigger scale of problem than uh, a computer not working or something like that which you have a smaller studio how do you let them like so we've got people that were that are maybe not in the position we are where they are owning a company but these are creative people they don't want to be stuck doing the same thing forever so how do you give them opportunity how do you make money while giving people opportunities to do what they want and that's always the balancing act and you know we in terms of like our salaries and in terms of how we run the company like we're not you know we're not we don't take money out all the time we try and do profit share we try and do that sort of thing and we also you know with the shorts program we try and let people direct their own things when we're coming up with new ideas for kids tv shows we let people pitch like we just had a big uh, in-house pitching thing there were 15 different pitches and two of those we will, will help develop to the next stage and if they get through it's not like Blue Zoo will then own all of it. We will split it with the guys that came up with it, and we, you know, we're, we're trying. In a way, we're trying to run a business and do things morally right, as, which as is, fairly as possible while surviving. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not easy. It's not easy. But you know, every everyone at our company, people who don't buy into our company or don't don't have the same ethos of us, don't tend to last very long. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and be fair. So it's not quite, always possible. It, it sounds quite sinister. <laughs> no, they, yeah. but they don't, do they? If they don't, if they don't believe in hard work and trying to push themselves forward creatively and stuff like that, they tend, you know, that you have to. It, it goes for the whole industry. You have to kind of really believe in what you're doing to be in this industry. And we, as opposed to just try and get people in and out the door, we try and support them. If they want to do something, mm. we try and support. them I mean, we've we've always tried to pick projects that we think our staff will kind of enjoy to do. Because if our staff are enjoying the work, then that would be evident on screen so that's mm. kind of always been our ethos if uh, if if we can make our staff as happy as they can be then that will lead to yeah. great work that will bring the money in so it's always been kind of like that focus rather than going right how can we make some money so it's that's oh, what we, we've yeah, we tried turned, to do we've turned down some like big jobs especially earlier on we got offered some quite big jobs and we turned them down just because the work would have been soul destroying yeah. And we think, would I want to sit and animate that for 16 months? No, I wouldn't. And I'm not saying that 
any project where you're animating the same thing for 18 months, by the time you've got a year into it, there is that frustration builder. You can, you can let people be as creative as you want within the remit of that, but you know, it, 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 it's going to get hard and people need sort of breaks and changes and stuff. And that's what I, kind of what we try to do with the shorts is to try and you know, have a bit of a, a break from that kind of like focus you have to, to have to have when you're working on a big kind of TV series. So we can do the shorts that give people that bit of kind of relief. But it is it's very tricky to do when you've got this monolithic production and you're trying to get some of those people working on a short as well. It's uh, it's a tricky thing to juggle, but try our best. Sanka <laughs> um, wanted to ask, and you sort of touched on it a bit, with, and, you know, people making shorts and uh producing uh pitches for potential tv series is um how do you go about crediting like directors in your company because your company is the kind of umbrella like if it comes out is blue zoo and how do you sort of keep people happy happy with that i mean well we we don't kind of rep directors or anything like that we i think my or maybe you could start about like like the heritage of that. Um, what in terms of not kind of repping kind yeah. of directors? Where it's kind of the way the studios evolve from just a bunch of us working collaboratively and collectively. That mm-hmm. I think I think my view on it is animation is so collaborative. It's often not down to just one director. How good the animation is. It's yeah. you know when you're making a film, you know an amazing director can make an amazing film on just their iPhone they don't need a massive crew around them mm. but with animation you can't do that it's very rare for one person to be able to make uh, a beautiful animation you you know you need uh, somebody who's fantastic at ZBrush or fantastic at rigging then somebody who knows all the rendering stuff so it's a huge uh, collaborative process and that's why we kind of like when we do our pitches for commercial and things we try and do it as a as a group mm-hmm. rather than just singling one person out as but the director doesn't mean that you take credit for everything you're just, that's a, like a role in itself like an animator is a role or a runner is a role yeah I mean it's, it's really interesting for a, it's difficult because people place different value on stuff so for mm. years and years like when we were making stuff and there's always argues, it seems to be always arguments over credits and we were very much of the opinion like we don't care because it's a small industry. People all know we've done this, right? So we don't do what you want, do what you want, do you want. But then when you're applying for funding from places like Europe, they're like, you haven't got enough producers' credits. And we're like, what do you mean we've produced this, 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 this? Right. And they're like, yeah, but it's not written on the credit. And we're like, oh, we've messed up here. Because uh, okay. we didn't demand it. But we've never had any complaints, really, from directors and producers. And we, we genuinely put them down. And when we see other pay, uh, the bigger companies... So you do have directors in Blue Zoo? Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. have directors. And, and they they're... get written down as director. And, and they, they get... If we win awards, they, they go and get it. We've just had uh, someone go over... I yeah, I mean, we've... Together. Like, for instance, on our last uh, short we did at Christmas, uh, Simone and Joe kind of directed that. Yeah. And we, you know, put their names out there. We didn't right, say right. it was a Blue Zoo animation directed by simone and joe right, right, right. Um, so we you know we're very open as to who's making it we're not hiding right. their their names when yeah. it's on vimeo and stuff we are saying it's a blue zoo animation made by all these people and right, we paid right. for him to uh stay over in new york was it new york oh uh, yeah so just recently so they they go over and we don't go i mean what one thing we don't like to see and we see it quite a lot is the 
people above us. So there was an occasion we went to an awards do for an animation that we'd storyboarded, directed, pretty much fully done the whole thing. And we, and we went there and there wasn't any of our, our studio wasn't mentioned on it. It was all the people sort of above us and exec and not even the people we'd worked with on it that were above us it was the people that were above them and exec them so somewhere at the top of the there's a list of three names one of which we knew and two of which we didn't and on the night we were there we just happened to be there and we went up and they'd got their award or whatever and and we were like oh it's great it's great that it's great that uh you won they were like yeah yeah yeah. who are you we're like yeah we're the ones we're the ones that did this <laughs> and they were like oh thanks yeah 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 it's like oh yeah whatever yeah it's like so, when a, a, an artist wins like a best music video award and they go up and collect the MTV thing and they're yeah, like oh thanks yeah. so much <laughs> but I'd, I'd hate to think that people didn't feel like we can't always pay people as much as they'd like and we can't always give people as the creative projects that they want and we are slowly edging towards that but what we would hope we would do is that people feel valued for what they do what they do do that doesn't even sound like a good sentence but what they do we hope they feel like they're valued for what they do and that, that they're appreciated and and, and they do have creative control yeah they well. do more than anywhere else like yeah if, if they've if they've got the skill and talent to do it we let them get on with it and we don't we try not to stamp all over it so with um uh have you was there ever a conversation that you guys had where you were like are we gonna be one of those companies that represent directors because i guess there are like most animation companies in london have like a roster of directors where they're like there's this and this and this person because um, i think we, we were just talking about it before you guys came and we were saying that we we were talking about how we were going to decide to brand ourselves when we first started up were we going to make everything the line or were we going to make everything you know, individual names. And there's pros and cons to yeah. mm. it's, it's both tricky. ways of doing it. We've talked it. about it. It's loads. like a common yeah. trend at the moment. A lot yeah. more and more now companies are sort of I think like Golden Wolf and Buck and Yeah, exactly. There's more I and think more like I've, things come under like an umbrella and I've I've heard quite a bit of chatter of companies wanting to consolidate under one name rather than going the repped route. So it seems But what I don't, I don't I I still can't understand why that's done necessarily. Like, I see the value in it being, like, for me, like, I see a lot of, um, uh, I, feel, I feel like animation gets commoditized quite a lot. Like, it just seems like a thing that you get, it feels like a service more than a creative thing led by an individual voice. And when you can attach a specific director's name for that to that, like Pixar do, for example, everything could just be Pixar, but you know, they, they make it clear who was leading it or whatever. And there was one kind of almost like auteur voice. I'm sure they're not exactly an auteur because they have whatever their brain trust or whatever they have. But um, but there it seems to be easier to sort of, you know, make it clear that there's a, one creative kind of voice there and that you can maybe make more of a big deal of... Uh, of the fact that you're you're kind of buying talent rather than just time. I think on particular I think on particular jobs I think that's absolutely valid and th- there was nothing Blue Zoo just grew out of us all doing everything. And I think at certain points there would have been an uh, actually like a promotional value to us actually trying to hive people off onto different things but I think um if we were more if we were more in the commercial space we we would we would do that. Um, 
Uh, at the same time, it's often nice you get clients in and you've got like a, a, a suite of different people. We work with different illustrators as well and we can re- recreate different styles. I think, I, think it, I think it can work both ways and we're never shy of saying who's leading on a project. So, you know, they're different illustrate, whether it's an illustrative lead for a style or whether it's a director. And different directors are, di- are good at different things as well. So if we, had, if we only had a roster of people we were pushing forwards and they didn't see that style they might be put off. Whereas as we're a company and they see loads of styles, they might still come in and go, we can't see that style there, but, but can you do that? And then of course we'll go, yeah, we'll do a test. Um, it, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying and every, every it's, point... it's, it's not, it's definitely not a criticism. No. I just, it's just like an observation. Yeah. I, just want... I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's tricky. Cause I think there's, you know, essentially if you're a, uh, a director who's linked to a studio you're a director f- working in this production company but we just turn it around so we're a blue zoo working with this director and all of our mm. directors are kind of permanent yeah in our studio they're like a full-time employee. yeah yeah so which makes it a lot easier for us because they're always there to help do pitches and we have yeah. different different directors collaborate with each other so it, it's just all together more of a um, just a, a collaborative experience that's that's not singling yeah. out one person. It's it's everyone yeah. getting together and to make exciting stuff. Yeah, and no, I mean, I can definitely, in, in some respects, like you know, you could argue that it's fairer because a lot, you know, a lot of production companies they will just acquire as many directors as they can and not necessarily get them work, or they probably end up even if they are popular, like. Will, do a lot of unpaid pitches and stuff like that so i mean yeah the curse of the industry the yeah unpaid pitch yeah no it's good i mean and these and these people tend to be more if you go and you put your style on something people will come to you for that style and you'll never be like one thing we decided early on is we didn't want to be ardman and we didn't want to do in you know if you go to ardman you go for Usually, you'd go for plasticine eyes and and yeah, yeah. and things. we decided we didn't want to be that. So, one of the joys about not having this list of really defined styles is kind of going. People will come to you, and you can go right. Well, we can do those styles, or have a look through this illustration I mean, book. We can do any of those. We'll work with these people. You can be a bit more flexible. It, it's more. I guess it means that we. One of the things we like doing is experimenting with lots of different styles. So we don't do just one style, mm. which makes. It, it makes it tricky because then when an agency comes to us for a commercial, they're like, I, I'm not sure what style we're going to get from you, which makes it sometimes a bit bit of a hard sell because that thing's all about trust and knowing. Yeah, yeah. I go to that person, I know exactly what animation yeah, I'll get from Yeah, particularly them. for advertising, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which makes it tricky to... So we have to really kind of go under the umbrella of like, trust us as a blue zoo with a 16-year track record. We We know what we're doing and then with these artists together we'll make a great animation which of something like this mm-hmm. so that's the kind of the, the thinking behind that have you guys got any advice for people who because i you you mentioned earlier on the fact that you have a lot of people applying and would you have any advice for anybody who's coming up right now who's trying to get into animation like i i'd always just say one of the most important things apart from the talent and showreel side of it is just get out uh, get out there as much as you can it's i i never quite appreciated when i was going through university and stuff how much it's all about who you know and the network about going to as many industry events and 
making new friends and keeping in contact with your old friends because you know in any industry it's all about who you know and the more people you know the more likelihood mm. someone will let you know if there's a job opening somewhere or give you a tip or critique your work for you uh so i think if you are kind of starting out just get out there as much as possible and to speak to as many people as you can and so how many do you do you guys personally look at all these show reels that come through um, what we normally do is, for instance, we're just doing internship uh, that we've just advertised for. So I think f- through that, we had a couple of hundred showreels to look oh. through and we kind of broke it down. So each member of staff had like 10 reels to look through and they could choose two or three they thought were the best. And then uh, we'd have a group uh, chat where everyone brought their best picks and then we'd select which one we thought was the best so it's it's quite everything we always try and do things quite uh democratically mm. uh, like with our shorts getting everyone in the studio to vote which is their favorite so we try and do the same thing with the uh with the job with the internships uh with the job applications it's usually like a lead animator who will look through the applicants and it, and is the internship like something that somebody would do between two years of university or is it something that somebody would do afterwards and then that would potentially lead to a job um we've not put any restrictions on it because we want to because there's so many people who like couldn't afford to go to university and have learned animation on their computer and we didn't want to restrict those people because mm-hmm. there are some amazing people yeah. who have self-taught and never been to university so <laughs> we've opened it to anyone and not put any restrictions mm-hmm. on that so it's purely down to the what we can see in there real it doesn't need to be the most polished thing but it just kind of needs to show some kind of passion and uh skill but that's not the only way of getting a job at blue so you can also just come in as an animator or uh, yeah oh yeah yeah the the internship is more of a uh way of giving people opportunity to get in when they might not have experience or they might not have been to university um so it's it's just another way of kind of opening the doors to, and, and uh, giving people opportunity. But um, we do take a lot of uh, graduates in as yeah. well. I remember so. I, you, you, you were one of the first companies I ever worked at when I started up working in London. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, that was uh, what, back in 2009, was it? A long time ago, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just remember there being... I, you guys got me in to do a matte painting or something, and I remember getting a call like four days later going where the hell did you save that how did you save that file we still can't find it <laughs> yeah. that's why we're here tonight <laughs> max called me up like a week later he's like i oh, don't worry they found it it was saved in some random part of the server and it was called smashy smashy <laughs> it's a smashed up city and so um but it was like definitely a learning experience for me about like how to you know be professional name files properly yeah um have you got any advice for people who are just starting up is there like common like mistakes that people make when they just there are sometimes um i guess you can be a bit too confident in your own ways and when you go to a, a company they have they have their pipeline for a reason so if you go and go i know i know a better way of doing this generally they've, they've there's a very good reason they don't do it that way by all means suggest it but don't just do things your own way because you think it's more efficient there's probably you know multiple reasons why it's not that, that done way when it's when you're working in big, big 
teams, you know, everyone's got to work the same way. And we try and find ways that everyone likes to work. But uh, I'd say, um, uh, yeah, just just don't do try and do told. things your own way. <laughs> <a>, do what you're told. <laughs> Shut up. There's a great story from one of our classmates at uni who went, his first job was working on uh, the, I'm going to forget James Bond. James Bond is surfing down a massive wave. Which shame. But um, so they've been making these CG waves. So his first job was to come in and sort of replicate these waves and build his own one. And he thought that their system wasn't very good for making these waves. So he'd sort of show initiative and re rejig it and rewrite it a little bit. And about, oh, you know how long these things take? About six months later, his little wave was ready. And uh, they were like, yeah, your wave is brilliant. It looks better than all the others, but it doesn't now sit with all the others. So next time, just do as you were told because you've wasted so he'd done this brilliant way but it was much better than the other so he couldn't use it and I think I think yeah that's a classic that's, case that's of that oh, it, 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 it didn't, didn't make it yeah because it was better it was like yeah we can't use it that's it doesn't sit in so his way I mean that's part you know we've heard lots of stories in the film where you spent like six months eight months doing this one thing and then they're like yeah it got cut and it's like oh. that's the joy of that's the joy of Blue Zoo. We ain't got time for cutting stuff out. We only do <laughs> what goes on the thing. And uh, oh, yeah, good. Uh, there was one other thing. Like, so you guys have got kids now. I was just wondering how that affects your choice of stuff that you want to make in terms of kids' TV. I um, I kind of like appreciate it a lot more now that seeing seeing kids TV from a different viewpoint in terms of what my kind of daughter likes, it gives you a whole new perspective in terms of what you want to, to make. So now I can actually kind of appreciate, Oh, it'd be great to make this show because I can see my daughter would really like it rather than just trying to guess what a, a child would like. It gives you that kind of insight and knowledge of what you think would work well. What you, what's your daughter into at the moment? Um, Oh, she's into all the, Disney princess stuff. <laughs> we're oh, not going to make loads God. of Disney princess yeah, so stuff. Go, yeah. Oh God! Yeah, we've. I think we just got through the frozen period after two years. <laughs> well, I'm quite lucky. Bugsy's just into hitting the television with a hockey stick, so I don't think he appreciates anything that's on it at all yet. So he's too young. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, it does sort of change. I think it's changed our perspective on the company as well because we both we all work. I'd say we still work all, as hard if not harder, but having a kid at home and having to go at least get home. So we used to stay. I remember nights where we would sleep over or stay till midnight and find it hard to get home. But now we like force ourselves home. So we force ourselves home, you can put your kid to bed and then you work from home. And it, it does make things a bit a, a bit different. It's a, it does sort of correct you. And I think it's good. I think it's good, really good to have a balance in your life because otherwise we're all so passionate. You can sit there and stare at a problem forever if you want and keep fiddling with it and keep doing stuff but I think for me it's actually like I think it makes me sort of a, a better person in terms of but it gives you a perspective because you take that break you go and do something different and you can kind of say well you know there's other things in the, in the world that sounds a bit yeah. emotional doesn't it <laughs> it does sound emotional but um, I, I think it does it, it gives it gives you a whole new appreciation Sam's, Sam's crying <laughs> Sam's crying <laughs> um so do you think that you, um, you 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 can like make better stuff if you've got kids? Um, you can probably make 
more informed decisions yeah. <laughs> about what what will go down well. You can so, appre- you can appreciate what is yeah. boring for adults as well because I think if you're going to have a really successful kids show, you have to buy into it an adult. So I think when you're watching stuff with your kid and they might be into it. Like, and, uh, there's some just like ridiculously plinky plonky stuff that Bugsy will just stand and stare at. But it's just so mind-lumbingly dull. I'm desperately trying to get him away from it. So when you get to things like Peppa Pig, which have a tiny bit in there for adults, or Hey Dougie, or these people have paid me to say all this, by the way, um, uh, any of those things um, that you get a little bit out of as an adult or can appreciate the graphic nature of it or something, then it, it makes you think, well, we should do stuff like that. We shouldn't just do... I don't know. And they tend to be the popular stuff because then parents like it, so they're prepared to buy the toys for their kids. So there is a commercial reason for it. Do you find yourself watching absolute nonsense with your kids that you'd rather not? I've always watched... Uh, oh, my job, I guess. I've always watched nonsense. On YouTube. <laughs> my my, uh, my daughter would watch YouTube all day long if she could. Really? It's, so it, not it, like... I've heard that TV. so much with kids. Is that like... It's... When people, like more and more, it's just like, oh, my kid just will sit down and watch YouTube and like... And I mean, I can understand, like, I kind of watch a bit of it and I might do, like, a free video, like, it, rabbit hole. But it, to, the idea of a kid sitting down and watching YouTube as a platform is insane. But what are they, what, what, what's she watching? What's she watching? It's like unboxing she, videos. She, and, unboxing videos. Yeah, she, yeah. One of her favourite things to watch is little kind of characters. You get, like, little toys being covered in goo. And she watches wow. like, yeah, and that's this, not, yeah, that's not those, normal, Tom. That's, those, just your, that's just your for family. those those videos. I think it's got three hundred million views. Yeah, that's just your characters. Again, that's just, that your is just family. Definitely going to check that out as soon as this is finished. <laughs> characters covered in good. Don't look that up. So is, that, is that there's not just one video. That's like a whole. Thing. Yeah, there's there's loads of videos of things being covered in goo. Oh uh, uh, no, this is not it, right. It, yeah, it is like the degeneration of a like <laughs> like a civilization. It's just like eventually it will just. Every, that is what will be like just 10 second TV. attention spans of like yeah. next next video next video it's got, <laughs> there's a show I really like called Louie and there's an episode where his kids he's having like a sleepover with his kids and like all these kids are just watching like a box on the TV like a cartoon box which is just screaming and they're all just like really content and it's like such a wicked like comment of like that that kind of uh, culture, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the but doesn't every generation think this about the generation before? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we watched. I'm sure my mum was like, "What are you watching?" When we were watching, I'm going to show my age now. I guess stuff like He Man and Shira. Is that the stuff that you guys loved when you grew up? Is that what you kind of? I I always loved the more of the kind of stop motion animations, like Magic Roundabout. And yeah, that. and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, uh, Thundercats. Thunder, Thunder, that was, yeah, that but must have been our generation. It, what you're saying, it reminds me of, because I read a thing the other day saying they, there was a, when books first came out, they were like <laughs> saying to kids, don't read books, they're going to rot your brains, you should get outside and play in the street. So it's, God, every generation has yeah, their kind of... When those books came out, <laughs> back in the late 1990s. It's like... There's there's someone going, oh, I'm not sure about books or I'm not sure about like Chuck Berry or something like that. But it's literally got down to like kids kids watching Goo. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, there may have been books about Goo. <laughs> yeah. I don't think How? anybody's found these things apart from you, Tom. <laughs> I just don't think it's... Do right. you guys feel a responsibility as like doing kids TV? I mean, you're talking about doing this series about dogging that that's going to kind of taint your brand 
in terms of selling stuff to kids? No, no, not at all. It's I never think, even crossed the. No, I don't think it's crossed our mind because it is things are so independent now. Of so, if we did, if we took one of the things we can't do is take one of our brands and do something a bit right, cheeky yeah. or rude with it. So you know, the broadcasters it would go down so badly we would, we wouldn't work again. But if you're doing something different and it, you know they they are separate brands, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I at think all. if I think it'd be different if we did stuff that was consumer facing right. like if we did things for that children could right, right, but right. because we are working for kind of broadcasts and stuff mm-hmm. it, you don't really have that issue yeah. but so like on your um if you go to like your website it's, it doesn't have like a work page it's just a, it's the only kind of content you can see is a show reel that's yeah plays like where would something like that fit in your portfolio because would you cut something like that into that show reel because that show all sort of is predominantly um we we kids. generally have i mean because there's well our, our website is just our our show reel, but generally yeah. we have when people ask our work we have kind of different show reels for right, different okay, things right. we don't put them up on our normal site it's more of a because right, right, right. usually you a lot of the time you have to kind of because we've got so many different types of work we generally have to cut a reel to to fit what yeah. it's needed for because we've We've got so many styles, and if it's for doing commercials or children's stuff or some of the kind of more the game stuff we're doing, it's mm. we've got a lot of different bits and bobs to. But it's to a pick it's on. a it's a curse as well as a joy though, because sometimes, like I think you pointed out earlier, it, sometimes advertising execs just need to know exactly what they're going to get, and if they don't see it, or they have to wade through stuff that you know they're notoriously lazy, aren't they? So they're, if they don't see it up front and centre, they won't go for it. So. I think it probably does cost us some work, but equally it probably brings us some work that people are, are willing to see it. But yeah, the dogging thing will go front and centre when we've done it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and But also like people are kind of rethinking like how it's value in that. Like I've I've seen someone's website recently, which is just, you, you go on it and it's just like a link to their Instagram and that's where they're putting yeah. all their energy into. And I thought maybe... You I mean, that, that does a, play a part. If If websites, if it was five years ago, our website would have been finished by now because yeah. it would play a really big part. But now most people just look on social media th- rather than websites. When, when we look at the stats of where people go, it's the website's quite far down the list now right. in terms of how people discover our, our work. So right, it's, right. it definitely does play a part in terms of why we haven't mm-hmm. tried to get it kind of like out there sooner. Tom, this is why we sound like geeky business. When we look at the stats <laughs> of where people are going. Mate, I think that is the like new thing that everyone's obsessed with, is just analytics. <laughs> like for the first time it's like it's quite like mainstream that you can just like get this like YouTube apps yeah. you can get and like eighteen year old kids are just like multi millionaires because they know exactly how to yeah. like, manipulate their viewing statistics and stuff. One last thing that uh, I I just wanted to definitely ask you guys about was the uh was about pitching series so you guys have got how many series commissioned now um because we do a range of our own stuff and other other kind of like for hire jobs probably Um, got about six things six series lined up over the next year and a half new series um either returning series so either second series of things like miffy uh we're finishing off Tree Tom, um, uh, we're finishing off Digby, 
Uh, we've got some American shows we can't talk about. But um, yeah, probably six six things over the next couple of years. And then we've learned now that things take so long to fund. The next things that we're making after that are already sort of in development or getting pushed out to broadcasters. Because even if you get a tick from a broadcaster, they say they want it, it's still at least a year, two I years. I think it's, you've got about, what, five in development and six in five production? Five in development, five films as well. Like, I mean, that's the real, the real hope for us is that we can do an animated feature, whether it's family or adults, that is cut to our own mould and is, can be commercially successful, is an art house, but is a good movie. And I'm sure that's a dream for everyone, but funding those things is very difficult. But that's that's going to be that's going to be the next thing. But pitching pitching in stuff like we're we're kind of really I think some people aren't honest, but come to us, show us your thing. If it's something that doesn't conflict with that motorbike, if it doesn't conflict with something we're already doing, then we'll be really pleased to look at it and we, we try and help people. So some stuff we don't actually work on, we just try and help people push them in the right directions. Um, but we also try and be honest like sometimes people come to us and say can you make this show about uh, princesses and butterflies and it's like we're, we're not the company to do that we're, we're a bunch of blokes <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we turn things down sometimes that are, are probably very good things and we just say well, it's not it, we can't add any value to this we just want to make things attack each other with chainsaws and we're not going to be able to do Ballet. Which, we, which, which, we, we got one one thing we got from America was um, please could you send us how much you know about girls' fashion and ballet for this particular pitch? We were like, <laughs> we think this might not be the job for us. Yeah, we, we, we did. Did we? We made a series a few years ago where I think four episodes were banned from broadcast oh, because yeah. of uh, Ollie's violence, <laughs> violence in script writing. Only in America, a... they were allowed. <laughs> But in terms of like putting it out to um, like networks, yeah. like what's that kind of process like? Like once you guys have got a pitch either from outside or so Olive the Ostrich, for example, yeah. like that's, that's that was an easy selling to be fair because there's there's two sort of two sort of programs that I think in and I don't think this should be the case, but this it seems to be the case. So you can either make a show that if you sell it to a few broadcasters, you make your money back and you make some money. And that has to be a very simple idea. Doesn't mean any creative. Doesn't mean it's creatively worse. It has to be a simple idea that you can produce reasonably cheaply and just get off the ground. And so we are considering doing those shows. And then if you're trying to do um, the bigger shows, go really big and find a way of making a big splash. So whether it's on Digby Dragon, so Digby Dragon is probably. And other it's for other people to judge. It's probably the highest end bit of preschool animation that anyone's ever made or bothered to attempt to make. This has not come out yet. No, it launches in, in June, June, July. See, we know we know our own show. <laughs> yeah, you're right. July the fourth comes out. On July the fourth. It's probably the highest end kids thing. And it, in fact, when we had it at brand licensing, uh, film companies were coming over. We'd got it all on the stand, and they were coming over and um, asking when our feature film was out. So that was you know that's really chuffed for just a bit of you know just a bit just a bit of kids animation but we, we were really chuffed we were getting that feedback and so we were trying to make it's getting a point of difference so you can sell it around the world and sell toys and where you miss out I think is but in the middle the thing is, I think you, it's worth highlighting that most people think t- children's TV shows are made and then the, the toys are made afterwards to, to make a quick buck but the majority of the times you cannot make a children's TV show from broadcast sales alone and the toys are there just to help fund it 
get made and then make some when are you guys going to do a theme park <laughs> soon soon in my back garden no but on, with Digby honestly if we sell it to every to every territory in the world we will just about break even. break even yeah. so we are relying on toys so if anyone listening has got children <laughs> you, <laughs> toys. you put a couple of things on Instagram from that right yeah. Digby mm. Dragon it looks really really good oh, cheers. really interesting the, the team and have done an amazing good. job and on it and there is those nuggets there's um, one of the characters so the main character is Digby or see Digby Dragon but there's a character called Chips who I actually think is one of and I'm not working on this, so I can say it kind of unbiased, it is one of the best characters in children's animation or similar. It's brilliant. He's just an, he's just an idiot. He's just playing <laughs> cartooning fun um, in the same way that Patrick Starfish is just fun and SpongeBob is just fun. He's just a brilliant character. Um, and so I've got, we've got high hopes for it. And mm. But again, it's been a bit experimental because it's kind of, it's CG animated, but done with a bit of a kind of stop motion look. It's animated on kind of, twos and threes to to give it that kind of like bit of a uh, a retro kind of feel to it because i think we always like making animations that have that kind of, kind oh, of feel it, to them it's yeah it's really snappy animation and some some of it is is just amazing for the time they're given considering the time restrictions that are put on them compared yeah. to the film some of it it's not it's not often that i feel the urge at work cause there's so much going on to like actually go up to someone's desk and say you know, I can't, you know, well done. That's an amazing bit of animation. But there's been a few times on Digby where they, uh, either through just playing talent or them competing with each other, it's, it's, there's some really, really amazing animation on it. Um, maybe maybe kids won't care, but I can. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys already got a, like a toy de- uh, deal signed yes. already? All, all being negotiated. Yeah, at the it's all negotiated. So we've got someone that is doing that side of things for us and they've given us an advance. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's work in progress and like some more you know there's a, it's a dragon and fairies and elves and squirrels and if you can't if you can't sell fairies and dragons to boys and girls then you, you, you're gonna have trouble so we've we've got high we've got really high hopes for it and we you know more than anything we hope it works as a tv series and if it does then we, we're sure kids will want to buy the stuff so sounds very cynical no, but, no, but no, it's basically no, but... is that is is that the buying stuff which leads to us being able to make more stuff yeah yeah, yeah. so it's but it's a good thing, right? I mean, I, lo- I love watching it. it like I said, there's stuff we make that I struggle to watch repeatedly, but with the, it's one, the one thing I get sent through everything. You know, as I started it off, I get sent through everything. I religiously watch it, not because I have to, because it's, it's great, and often I don't comment on it at all, but I, you know, it's, it's something about it that feel, feels sort of like a heritage thing. I was, uh, we were talking to Ben Bocalay, and he, he, we sort of touched a bit on the merchandising. One thing that he said to me, which I didn't really realise, is you have to get a certain amount of, or maybe it's just a kind network, a certain number of episodes before people are investing in producing toys just because they want to know that it's going to be running for a while. Yeah, I mean, on Digby, we're making 52 and it's probably very likely we'll have to make another 52 to really get the momentum going. So you have to make a lot of, <laughs> a lot of episodes. It, to, it's interesting. At what it, point will the merchandise come out? Uh, yeah, so we're hoping like 2017, Christmas? Uh, Christmas 2017, so okay. next Christmas. It, it's, it's, um, there's other ways of supporting. So if you think of it as a brand, there's mm-hmm. other ways of supporting it now. So I don't think long term you're going to have to keep making it, but you could maybe do a really, really sophisticated game. Um, if you look at things like Moshi Monsters, that was a game with some content. Yeah. And then they did a film. And so they went the other way. So I don't think it's all about 
making more and more reps anymore. Um, but in you do need to support the brand in some way. Right, and, so. and that's how you have to think. So, you know, sadly or joyously, that's how you, how you have to think of animation now, not as a TV show. It's a, it's a brand and you have to feed that brand with stuff or or it will die. But there's a, the opposite's true as well. Like you can over, there's quite a lot of stuff that will suddenly hit the shops at Christmas and they'll throw everything at it and they'll kill the brand in, in one season making a load of money and then you'll never see it again because it's been oversaturated. Right, right, right. So you're to, you know, we're not experts in it, but there's meant to be this sort of slow drip and keep new products coming out, keep new episodes coming out. Mm. Wow. No, that's really interesting. Well, thanks for your time, guys. It's been uh, really informative. Oh, cheers for having us. Yeah. It's all right. It was really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah thanks very good much. Good chatting. Good meeting you guys as well. <laughs> <Nice>. yeah. <laughs> thanks. Cheers. Cheers.